Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're going to be looking tonight, as Bradley said, at the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, but before we get into the text, I, I've got some um, bonus material. <laughs> uh, you know, um, just a little bit of extra. You know, I, I, my time for studying was preparing uh, on, on the text, but I, I've got something that uh, God laid on my heart to share this morning, and I, and I wanted to share it with you as well. Uh, that's not necessarily straight related to the text that we're looking at tonight. Um, and that is... Um, Discipleship. What is discipleship? Uh, one of the books that I've read, I think, has got one of the best, uh, simplest definitions of what discipleship is, and that is helping others follow Jesus. It's very simple. Uh, you don't have to have uh, expertise training. You don't have to have the right curriculum or anything like that to disciple people. Uh, you just have to help people follow Jesus. And that's really something any Christian can do. You just find someone who is a, a, you're maybe a little bit further on, or maybe even mutual discipleship, meeting with another person, reading the Bible together and praying together, or uh, when you're when you're in a kind of a Paul Timothy relationship, uh, an older person in the faith meeting with a younger person in the faith. Um, Paul tells us in uh, in Second Timothy two. Let me turn there real quick. Yeah, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Second Timothy two in verse two. I'll start in verse one. First of all, then I urge that supplication. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong one. That's First Timothy. Second uh, Timothy two two and and starting in verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. That's Paul's strategy for discipleship. What we have learned about Jesus and the gospel, about following him, we pass that on to other faithful people who will then pass that on to others as well so that the chain goes from one generation to the next to the next and we multiply. It says... Uh, faithful men, or uh, men or women, it, I think the point is people, you know. Um, we, each one of us, can be passing it on to someone who we're maybe just a little bit further along than, uh, and, and multiple people, not just one, but multiple people who then are in turn finding their own disciples and passing it on to them, and then finding their own disciples and passing it on to them. That's That's Paul's plan for discipleship, and, um, or Jesus' plan for discipleship. And uh, one thing, one reason why I share that is I, that's the model I'm trying to, to do, and uh, in order for you to know that, uh, in order for you to learn from my example, I need to share a little bit about what I've been doing. Uh, and I don't do this to try to toot my own horn or, or just be... Um, uh, saying, 
hey, look at how great I am. I'm just, I just want you to know uh, so that you can follow the same example. I, I meet uh, with, with several p- different guys, uh, Junior, um, Bradley, Caleb, and uh, there's a young man named Conway at the other church. And then I've met with several others uh, from time to time where we just we get together, we have coffee, we read, read the Bible together, we may go through a book together, uh, different things. And um, we just, I, I'm just investing my life in someone. And that's something that Jesus calls all of us to do in making disciples. Um, and, and also, uh, one thing that I can tell you is not everybody that I've met with for discipleship has worked out. I've had some that began to meet with me for a little while and then they just lost interest. You know what? Same thing happened for Jesus. Jesus had some people who were following him and he said some kind of hard saying and they disappeared. They stopped following him. And, and some, uh, at least one person I'm thinking of that, that uh, I was meeting with regularly and trying to help them grow in the faith, um, walked out on his family. Uh, you know, Jesus had a Judas. He, he, he spent three years investing into these people and even he had someone who ultimately walked away. I'm thankful my friend that walked out on his family is actually returned to his family and is is now um, trying to resolve things and get the kind of help that he needs. Um, You know, Jesus also had a Peter who denied him three times, and yet Jesus restored him. We can all be doing that. We can all be finding someone who maybe we're just a little bit further along. If you're a Christian, you can do that. Find someone to meet with. And, and the mutual discipleship is good too. Someone that maybe you're on the same level with or pretty close and you can help their weaknesses and they can help your weaknesses and you just pour into each other. That's all bonus. <laughs> That's all bonus. Let's now look into John chapter 2. We'll just read our, read our text. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, it, and did not know where it had come from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone who serves good wine first, everyone serves good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. 
and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. Lord, that you, you don't leave us out on our own. Um, we don't have to, to come up with plans and strategies. But Lord, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have given us your word and you've given us your spirit. And Lord, we can follow you because of your voice that calls to us. Father, give us eyes to see your glory. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice. Lord, I am weak. You are strong. Help me preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about well, let me, let me back up. John begins his gospel by telling us about how Jesus was the pre-existent Word of God that has always existed from the beginning. He was with God. He was God. And the Word became flesh. And in verse, I believe it was 18, it says, We beheld His glory. The glory of the one and only Son of God. Then we saw John pointing out Jesus, saying, hey, this is not about me. What, what I've been doing in baptizing people, it's not about me. I'm not the prophet. I'm, I'm not the Messiah, the Christ. It's about somebody else. It's about somebody who came before me. It's about Jesus. And then we saw Jesus calling His disciples. We saw Him call Andrew and Peter. We saw Him call Nathaniel and Philip. And he told Philip, or he told, he told Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these. Remember that last week? Philip was amazed because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you there before you ever had any thought of me. And Philip was amazed. He said, you're the son of God. Jesus said, if you believed because you, I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you're going to see greater things than these. In chapter 2, Jesus begins to show him greater things than that. In chapter 2, we find that Jesus is with his disciples, with his mother, there at a wedding. We have weddings today, and what, what makes a good wedding? Uh, well, uh, I, I guess you've you got to have a good reception, right? You've got to have a good reception. And here in Jesus' day, you had to have plenty of wine, right? Now, I'm a teetotaler. <laughs> I, I don't drink at all. Uh, uh, now, I, I do believe that the Bible teaches um, that drunkenness is prohibited. We are not to be controlled by anything other than the Spirit of God. But it does not condemn drinking. Jesus made, his, made water into wine. Um, in that day, um, you needed the alcohol in order to purify the water. You could get sick from drinking the water. Um, anyway, 
I don't want to get too far off of topic here, but the wine was something they used to celebrate. It was a celebratory kind of thing. It, it represented abundance, and uh, that was what they were using to have joy. And Jesus here was at the wedding, and uh, they ran out of wine. They would have been embarrassed. You know, they would never have lived it down. If people found out, oh, they don't have any more wine left. Oh, remember their wedding? <laughs> we went there. Oh, they were the ones that ran out of wine. They weren't good hosts. So Jesus' mother didn't want to see that happen to this young couple. She approached Jesus and said, they're out of wine. Do something, Jesus. Do something. And Jesus' response it seems kind of strange to us. He said, woman, what does this have to do with me? Woman, this is none of my business. It seems strange to us. It seems like maybe Jesus is being kind of harsh to his mother. Well, uh, let's, let's step back a little. I don't think he's being harsh here. Uh, different cultures have different customs about how we speak to one another. Uh, there's another place where Jesus calls his mother woman in the Gospel of John. And that was on the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down at his mother standing next to John and he said, Woman, behold your son. He was not rebuking his mother from the cross. It was probably a term of endearment to him. And he was saying, Oh, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now the second part. What does this have to do with me? What is, what is Jesus saying here? Because he goes around and then he, he performs the miracle. I, I think this is here to point out Jesus' mother, Mary, was not the one who initiated this miracle. Jesus could not be pushed or prodded into performing this miracle at the wedding. He says, my hour has not yet come. Jesus had not yet, this was his first miracle. It was his, the first thing that began to manifest his glory as we see at the end. And the concern was to show Jesus didn't just respond to Mary's wishes. And do this. He did it because his hour was coming. He did it because it was the design of his father. He was doing his father's will. Now, how does this apply to us? We might want to try to do things in the flesh to try to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. Have you ever done that? You want something so bad and you try to arrange the circumstances and you try to manipulate God into doing what we want to do. But God is above all that. He will not do what is outside of His plan. He made this wine here at this wedding because it was the time that God had designed that He would begin to manifest His glory. Human beings cannot manipulate and twist Jesus to fit their plans. That's what we need to see here. 
When Jesus performed this miracle, when He manifested His glory, He did it because His hour had then come. It had not yet come in the sense that His hour was ultimately His death and resurrection. But in a sense, His ministry was beginning and His hour was coming. Next, what does Jesus' mother say then? She expects an answer. And she says, do whatever He tells you. He, she tells the servants who were there, who were serving all the guests, do whatever He tells you. And so what do they do? They gather the, he tells them to gather the six water jars and fill them up with water. There's something here for us too. How are we going to reach Panama? How are we supposed to function as a church? How, how are we supposed to live our lives? We do whatever He tells us to. We open our Bibles and we read what He tells us to do and we do it. It's not rocket science. <laughs> we do what He tells us to do. Um, in church planting spheres and in, in just church leadership, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about strategy. How are you going to reach your focus group and, and your, your target group and all those kinds of things. And you know there's a place for some of that, but ultimately it really just boils down to this. Do what Jesus tells us to do. We read His Word and we do what the Bible says. Next, we see that the wine that Jesus made from water was better than the wine that was made by natural processes. Begin in verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Imagine the scene here. The master of the feast, it wasn't the bridegroom. The master of the feast was probably the head waiter. The one who was in charge of making sure that all the details were taken care of. The one that saw that all the guests were satisfied. And he tastes this and he's like, somebody's done something strange here. Usually, what they would do, and this comes from just this text, uh, what, what I've found is, you don't find this in archaeology, you don't find this as you study the customs of the day, you find this in this text. What they would do is they would give the uh, good wine at first, the one that tasted good, the highest quality, and then once everybody got so wasted, they couldn't, it didn't matter anymore, then they bring out the poor stuff. Because they just continued to drink and it, they were numbed and they couldn't tell any difference. Jesus here, He made a higher quality wine. A, a, a more extravagant, a more extraordinary wine out of just ordinary water. He made better wine than what could be produced by natural processes. When we make wine, which again, I'm a teetotaler, I've never made wine, 
Scout's honor. I've never been a scout. Um, when, when wine is made, you know, you, you crush the grapes, you put it in a vat or a bottle or whatever, you, you, um, you let it ferment, and you let it age. And depending on, you know, the, 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 the crop that you had, the, the different things that it could affect with the climate and everything, the, the amount of time that it's aged, you know, it, it affects how good the wine is. But it's all done by natural processes. And Jesus here, by taking ordinary water and putting it into these stone jars, made extraordinary wine. Wine that was better than what could be made by natural processes. Here's what this is for us. When we are planting a church, when we are trying to reach our neighbors, we could be tempted to try to use natural processes to grow. We can be tempted just to be friendly and to be welcoming. We can be tempted just to be... And, and there's nothing wrong with being friendly and welcoming. Please do so. If you're being a jerk to people, leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> um, we can be tempted to just do events and activities and just try to put on a show. Those are natural processes that might bring people into the building. And lots of... Churches have been built that way, where you put on a show and you end up with lots and lots of people that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Jesus made water into wine, not by natural processes, but by supernatural processes. If we want to grow that is more, in a way that is more than just a mile wide and an inch deep, if we want to really reach this community and make disciples and not just fill up the building for a while until this fad passes away, we need a supernatural work of God. We cannot just depend on natural processes. We need a supernatural work of God. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as we go into our community, we need His help and His enablement as we talk to people about the Gospel. You know, if we just go cold, without preparing our hearts, without praying, God can sovereignly move and in whatever way He wants to. But when we invite the Spirit to come with us, when we, when we have bathed our time in prayer before we go out and we share the Gospel... We go expecting a supernatural work of God. And when we get on our faces before Him, and we repent of the sin in our lives, that's when we're ripe for God to do a supernatural work. Then, we see in verse 11, this, the first sign, first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Why did Jesus do this miracle? Why did John write this down? It's because he was manifesting his glory. He was manifesting his glory. John said in chapter 1, 
We have beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son from the Father. We, we saw the last chapter at the end of it. Jesus told Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these. We saw here in this text greater things than these. And we see Jesus did this miracle to manifest His glory. What do we need here? We need Jesus Christ to manifest His glory. We need a movement of God. We don't expect Him to come in the flesh and make wine for our block party. (laughs) That's not what we're expecting. But Jesus Christ can still manifest His glory in people who are filled with the Spirit, who are reading His Word, who are praying, who are serving, who are loving those around us. And while we do that, Jesus is manifesting His glory to our community. That is more than just a natural process. And then what happens? Verse 11 still and His disciples believed in Him. What happened when Jesus manifested His glory? His disciples believed in Him. Do we want to see people trust in Jesus? Do we want to see people's lives change? People trust in Him to believe in Him? We need to see Him manifest His glory. Now, I am not by any means a charismatic. (laughs) I do not believe in barking like a dog or jumping over the pews. (laughs) But I do believe in the Holy Spirit. He is one of the three persons of the Trinity, and without Him, it's all in vain. We need for a movement of the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit does not make us... Bark like a dog and jump over a pew. Okay. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share the gospel. You know, we might be timid and afraid to speak to somebody. But what the Holy Spirit does is when we prepare ourselves and do everything that we can, and we pray and we ask God to help us, we can go knock on somebody's door. And He's been there all the way, preparing the way. And we just start, we, we just open our mouths and the Gospel starts pouring out and we didn't know where it came from. That can only be explained by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. What I think the meaning of this text is, Jesus revealed His glory by making good wine where there was only, or extraordinary wine, where there was only ordinary water. We need to depend on Jesus. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to build His church here in Panama. To see souls saved, not on natural processes, but depending upon Him and His work. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. 
For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.